Hi there, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder, and this is Learning to Fail. This is our first episode of season two. It's something I was really looking forward to sharing with everybody. Just a fantastic interview with one of my favorite comedians, mentors, and friends, Spanky Brown. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but what should have been a very happy occasion couldn't be sadder. Spanky died yesterday. I can't say enough good things about Spanky. And I think if you asked anyone who knew him, they'd say the same thing. He was generous and kind, and he led with his heart. He gave his whole heart to the world around him. And that's why everybody loved him. I, I just don't know anybody who didn't love him. I don't know how you could know him and not love him. And I think he did this podcast to help me as much or more than he did it to help himself. And as you'll hear, he expresses nothing but gratitude for having been included. Anyway, this is season two. And I was planning to kick it off with my interview with Spanky anyway, but it was supposed to be a celebration. Instead, it's incredibly sad. All I can do is invite you to sit back and listen and let the late, great Spanky Brown make you laugh one last time. So first of all, dude, it's great to finally sit down with you. We have been talking about this literally for over a year. Yes, we have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we have. It's yeah. awesome. I'm glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I mean, I, I feel like um, you're really one of the first, I guess you're maybe the second real sort of like touring comedian I met. Mm. I mean, aside from my work, I did some work with Bobby Slayton a number of years ago, but he's like so far out of the reach, you know, he's other, yeah. other. Yeah. Other end of the spectrum. But as far as like, you know, people who are accessible, people who are traveling, people who are local. Um, you know, when I met you at uh, that, I don't remember what the party was. It was a birthday party for someone or just a holiday party or something like that. It was, it was a party we met. I thought we met at the. Uh, huh. It was a party where you performed. Um, oh, it was, yeah. It was, something, it was a, yeah. At the Black Bear. The Black Bear. I think it, was, I think it may have been a friend's birthday party that night, maybe. I'm not, yeah, it was a party. Yeah. It was Beth's birthday. Beth. Oh, my Beth God. Pearson. Dude, Beth Pearson. I have such a horrible story about her. Um, <laughs> and I'm the horrible part of the story. You're not the horrible her. part of the story. She's, uh, she had Facebook messaged me and said, hey, I'm coming to your show finally. You know, my comedy show that I do every month. Right. And I mistook her for a different Pearson. Okay. And uh, this other woman was a photographer, and I said, hey, are you going to have your camera with you? And she's like, no. And I said, oh, man, I was can I have you take pictures? And she said, well, my boyfriend can do it, or my date, or whatever, my guy I'm with. Right. And I was like, okay, great. Tell him it's 100 bucks." And she said, he only has his iPhone with him. I said, all right, 50 And then, or no, she didn't tell me he was an iPhone. She said, he's not a prof I said, is he pro? And she said, no, he's an amateur. I said, all right, 50 
And then he got there and all he had was an iPhone. I was just like, fucking forget it, man. You know, like you got to have a real camera. And, uh, but then I didn't know, I didn't recognize her because I was expecting this completely other person. Mm-hmm. And then she got super offended that I didn't recognize her and she left and didn't even stay for the show. Oh, oh. oh <laughs> yeah. it was bad, man. That's it, horrible. It was, I felt terrible. Oh um, my goodness. I felt so terrible about it. Yeah. <laughs> She's such a sweet person. She is a sweetheart. Yeah. She is a sweetheart. I hope to see her this weekend. Yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. So what are you doing in town? I'm here to uh, perform at the uh, Artisan at the at Flat Rock. Is that your first time performing there? Yeah, it's my first time performing at, at the uh, the new club they got here, and I'm looking forward to it. That's tomorrow night. That's a Saturday night. Nice. And uh, I came all the way back from Tampa, Florida, just to do this. Yes, podcast and while you're here and you're the doing the show while i'm here <laughs> and i'm show, reversing I, it i, I should have stayed in florida I was, you should have stayed in florida dude. i, I should have rebooked it and stayed but i was kind of like ah you know well that's tough i, I mean it was tough to but i'm, I'm glad i did so I, i'll go back to florida next week so. so what are you doing down in florida right now i was doing side splitters in florida and tampa and uh i stayed a couple of days because my manager lives in tampa Okay. With the map out. This guy, he wanted me to meet while I was in town. And um, stopped through Savannah on my way, going and coming, stopped, saw my daughter in Savannah, so um, and saw my grandson and uh, and her husband. And um, so I came back. Uh, Tampa's always, well, I drink more in Tampa than I do anywhere else in the country. Okay. <laughs> I wonder how many people that's true for in Tampa. Tampa's a lot of fun, man. Tampa's a lot of fun. Oh, so we, you're, you're drinking for fun, not because you're miserable. No, 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 no. I'm miserable after the drinking. <laughs> yeah, but drinking, you're going through it happy. That was like, ah. I, mean, I accidentally had another Crown 7. I was like, <laughs> oh, now that's getting it. So uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of friends in Tampa. It was Thanksgiving and... Uh, People were so nice, you know, having me over, and I got way too much. And but I and the but the silver lining is um, when folks start inviting me. I say, you know, if I play this right, I ain't got to buy one meal while I'm here. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with having turkey and dressing for breakfast. No, no, not not at all. <laughs> if it's good, turkey omelets, yeah, <laughs> turkey omelets. Yeah, so I had a good time. I had a real good time. You know, I've learned the difference between dressing and stuffing since I lived in the South. That's right. This is a message to the white people. Hey, uh, no stovetop stuffing on damn Thanksgiving. That's that's number one. I walked out somebody's house over that shit one time. Oh, really? I said, oh, I can't stay here for Thanksgiving. No, no. We, we, put some, <laughs> we need some cornbread stuffing, celery, all that stuff, you know, all that whatever. So, uh, no, nah, it's, it's the difference between dressing and stuffing. Well, my, uh, my, my daughter's mom, her family, down in Savannah, they make the, uh, the the dressing with like shrimp and crab meat in it. Really? Oh, it's crazy. They go all out, huh? They go all out for it. This Thanksgiving's a big deal. So shrimp and crab meat in the dressing that also gets served with the turkey. Yes. Is it good? It's amazing. It's delicious. Do they it's, put bacon in it? Do they put bacon in it? I'm not sure. They might. Yeah. I mean, you know, black folks like we make. You know, like macaroni and cheese is like a meal. It's like it weighs like twelve pounds. <laughs> it, it takes a day to make. You know, I know one. Uh, when I was, I spent um, Thanksgiving in Chicago. Uh, both of my cousins, 
married African-American women. Mm -hmm. And so every Thanksgiving is a mix of Jewish and American and African-American cuisine. <laughs> That's got to be awesome. Yeah, it is. It's great. You know, and the, I mean, the thing is like, you know, they're, my family is conservative, so they don't eat pork. So okay. all the yeah. black people in the family are forced to make recipes that normally would have bacon and pork and all That's stuff right. with turkey. You know, they've got to make it with Jew-friendly meats. And, uh, <laughs> but they do it. Jew-friendly meats. They do it. That's, yeah, because you, you, you can't make collard greens with a... They did. Would they she made, made it with turkey? turkey. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I've had them with turkey before. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad but, at all. You know, no, yeah. no, not bad at all. Yeah. But I, I couldn't be... <laughs> Can we say anything on this? Anything. You can say anything I, I, you I, want. Could, I, I think I would have a real hard problem uh, converting to Islam or Judaism just because of pork, because I love <laughs> bacon. <laughs> if they can find some kind of waiver or something. <laughs> a waiver. <laughs> they make me sign a special form. Hey, you know, he, he's Jewish except on Tuesdays, or he's Muslim except on a. One of the first song parodies I wrote was uh, uh, Stevie Wonder had a song called Part-Time Lover, uh -huh. and I wrote a song called Part-Time Muslim. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was writing for Tom Joyner's show, and I gave it to Jay Anthony Brown to do on the air. He said, this is hilarious, but I can't do it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. You can do it on this show if you want. It can, I, I can't remember it so long ago. It was fun. It was, I mean, it was, it was just borderline. He was like, you know. He said, man, I want to do this so bad, but I don't think I can get away with it. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll save for some other time. Yeah, you gotta be uh yeah. gotta be careful with what you choose to say. But that was twelve years ago, so I could imagine now something like that coming. Oh, out. Dude, it's clubs ridiculous I can get away now. with it, but not 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 on the radio. Not well on the radio for sure. Yeah. Um what do you think about this whole crackdown going on right now on all the sexual harassment, sexual misconduct? When are they coming for you? Never. <laughs> See, all my friends, all my friends make fun of me for getting put in the friend zone all the time. So I'm like, hey, that friend zone's looking pretty good, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> that friend zone ain't so bad after all, is it? <laughs> yeah, what's going on, Janice? <laughs> Not a long way down from the friend zone. Not a long zone. way down from the friend zone, baby. So every time I every time I make a a, a selection. We going in, and we go in the right way. We don't do it with any touching or any inappropriate comments or nothing. That's the beauty of being a comedian. People take what you say at times. Uh, they never know if you're joking. Right. They, ne they they literally never know if you're joking. So I, uh, now of course, when it comes to the putting your hands on, the, the old saying is you never, you don't shit where you eat. You know? Right. So. You don't, you don't screw the weight staff. You don't, you know, certain rules. You don't, and that was one of them. And uh, so, yeah, they're never coming for me, Jack. Never, we always play it cool and play it under the radar. We yeah. no big deal. I ain't got nothing to prove to nobody or nothing. I know guys that are in comedy just for the sex. That's it. Really, I know a couple of guys. They work, they work their asses off just for the for the ladies. So. It's uh, yeah. But what I think about it, I think it's, I think it's great. You know, these women are coming forward, and I, now, now I do think some of them are piling on. Like whoever the chick is that accused uh, Garrison Keeler of sexual harassment, she needs to go to hell probably. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Prairie Home Companion. Right. I listen every Sunday when I'm on the road. Listen. 
Garrison Keeler is a curmudgeon. He don't he don't fool with no. I don't know if he's even married or not. You know, but the, when his when he told his side of the story, it was like well, literally, I put my hand on her back, and now that's. So I think we're gonna have a lot of that coming out, you know. But as far as these other douchebags, I don't care. Like Weinstein and uh, Bill Cosby and Lauer, and you know. How about my boy Louis? <sighs> That's heartbreaking. That's right? a tough one, right? That's heartbreaking for yeah. me, man. Louis, because I always thought Louis was such a good guy. Uh, I met him a couple times, and uh, always been super nice, you mm. know. Always been super cool, and that was. He'd be the last guy I would think that we'd even doing something like that. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, it, 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 they say America's a really forgiving country. We'll see how forgiving it is. You know? I mean, this has been, you know, every day someone, every day someone man. new falls. On my radio show, we're having the sexual harassment 500 every day. <laughs> And we, <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> the list of all the people. It's, who like, been, it's like a NASCAR race. We putting folks in the race, you know. Like let's see who's Russell Simmons just made the race. <laughs> he just pulled out of pit. Oh man, Russell Simmons is in. Um, Matt Lauer, uh, and, and we just because the, the names keep coming yeah. every day. They keep coming. So, but then that's uh, the Hollywood end of it. Didn't surprise me. One bit. Oh, sure. I mean, like the Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah the Kevin Spacey's. I, the, first of all, who didn't know Kevin Spacey was gay? Who, who right, who's not, not paying attention? Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Him. Apparently, he's the only one who didn't yeah, know. Because yeah, the rest oh, of us, he's I, like, I came out. Yeah, I came out. So it, to it, myself. It, it doesn't like, count. I, like, I finally admitted it to me. Please. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, the, the Weinsteins and the Brett Ratners and the Russell Simmons, all that. You know, I think we talked about Hollywood being such a slime pit that none of this surprises me. Kind of, none of it surprised the, the news people kind of, Matt Lauer surprised me, but a lot of people knew stuff I didn't even know. They, well, sure. So it's been around for a long time. So, um, and there's some guys you look at, you just know, like Harvey Weinstein, he, he almost has to sexually harass people. You see him. He's like a, like a, he's like he's a, like Shrek. Yeah. He looks like a, <laughs> He looks like a clump of mashed potatoes with stubble, like five day stubble. <laughs> <laughs> He's all white and pasty. I mean, yeah, that, and this is these are all. I think to me, it sounds like all the guys you know from high school who yeah. were like nerds and dweebs, and they weren't really cool. And they got like they 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 did a lot of work and got rich and powerful, so they can have this this power over people just for moments like this. Just right. all the girls that turned them down, all the you know. So that's why I look at it, but uh, I, it, it, I'm glad and I'm troubled because I just I, I guess um, I come from a different time. I guess when either you had game or you didn't have any game. Right. <laughs> that was it. You spit the you, you spit the game or you don't have any game. You go about your business. But now it's like you know, gonna, some guy's gonna have their way. Uh, regardless of what <laughs> what the lady says, so fellas, keep your hands to yourself, okay? Buy my book, How to Talk to Women and Influence People by Spanky <laughs> Brian. 
get it in your life. You need it. Is that a real book? No. Uh, should be. <laughs> I should. I write was it about though. to buy it. I was like, you sold one copy. I should, I should. I should write that book. You should, man. How not to be a jerk by Spanky Brown? That you could write. I think I would. I should. I should yeah. write that book. Yeah. In regards to women. Or just in general. Just I mean, how not to be a jerk. You know, you're, you're, I think you'd have to call it how not to be an asshole. I mean, you can put that on books now, you know? You can, but, but, you know, people, you know how people are nowadays. One word to keep them off the, you know. All right, so you're going to go with jerk. I'm going to go with jerk. See, but that's you. See, that's the difference between us. You know <laughs> to go with jerk. I'm like, I'm saying asshole. Nobody's buying my book. <laughs> no, I, some people would turn up, some people would turn up just one word to keep, oh. It's got the word asshole on. I can't yeah, touch it because that's the it. devil. No, that's true. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm really. Uh, I'm really sort of struggling right now with my comedy. Like I think I. I think I sort of found my. I want. I want to say this, and I want to say that I know I'm. It's premature for me to say it, mm-hmm. but I feel like I found my voice, not in the big sense. But like, like I, who I am now, who I've been becoming. Okay. I really hope I continue to evolve as a comedian. I do not think that I have landed by any means. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like I've started to get a sense. And what I mean by that when I say I found my voice is I feel like I've started to get a sense of where my head goes when I start creating a bit or writing a joke, you know? Like, and it doesn't go to the best place it goes to like you know i mean it's funny to me it's funny yeah but it's always just like a little bit horrible that may be your thing yeah i know that's what i'm saying like i think i've kind of like made friends i'm like this may be my thing it's like and i think it's generational because you know when i perform for people who are 40 and up Mm -hmm. they usually think i'm pretty funny Mm -hmm. when i perform for people who are 30 and younger they're like, oh, oh man, you can't say that. And some people are yeah. getting mad at some of my jokes. Like, I don't want to be making people mad, but I also don't want to be not doing what's comedic I to think, me. I think the best thing to do, well, first of all, about finding your voice, or, that probably comes to guys who start, that probably comes sooner to comedians who start late. Mm-hmm. Start later, right? Just because you've been around the block a few times, you got something to talk about. A lot of younger comics, it's it's a lot easier to tell something funny that you lived rather than what's made up, right? Like I'm not a big I'm not a big joke writer. Um, I, I'm just better at telling a story, and when uh, in the guise of joke writing sure so um I, th- I think coming to coming into yourself quicker because you started a little bit i was 35 when i started so um i think you actually have something to say when it's uh personally i think you shouldn't even start doing stand-up until you're 30 hmm. and i mean like Open mic, like you can't get up on a comedy club stage anywhere until you're 30 because i don't hear nothing 30 year old has to say I, and, and people can call me. Oh man, you couldn't be. You shouldn't be that prejudiced. I'm like, yeah, I am. I really. I, just, I don't have nothing got to say. I, mm. I, they can't. They can't tell me about shit. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing. Politics, sports, nothing. So, um, well, maybe sports, but uh, most of the time, if you think it's funny, it probably is. 
It's just a way to tweak it. And and the only way to tweak a joke is stage time. I, I, I can't say that enough when I try to calculate how many shows I've done. Um, I got no, I got no idea. Yeah. I got, I would say somewhere around somewhere short of ten thousand. I guess maybe. I guess. Wow. Well, that's they say you got to do ten thousand hours to. That's when you become truly proficient. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna, I'm gonna name drop here, but um, it's okay. Steve Harvey told me I was opening for Steve. Was goodness, seventeen. 18. I just had my nineteenth anniversary yesterday. In comedy. So it had to be 17 years ago. And we were talking, and he says, until you've heard them say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Steve Spanky Brown, at least 3,000 times, you do not know what you're doing. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And so uh, when I tried to do the math on it, that's when it, and I, f- I forget the night it hit me. I forget the night that it was that show where it was like, Okay, well, maybe you know, maybe something to that, maybe. Yeah. But whatever show, I can't remember where I was or, or remember. Uh, I just remember the feeling like, and it, it was years later. It was it was it was years later. Um, I remember saying, maybe I can do this, you know. And I've been making money at it, right? And I was having good shows, but when I really found out what I wanted to do on stage. That's when it. That's when it hit me, and that's when and the shows changed for the better. I mean, they were, I thought they were going okay, right? And they just really got better. Yeah. But if you do the math, if you did a show every day for three hundred sixty-five days, right? That's in in ten yeah, years. That, right, that's, that's ten years. Yeah. So you didn't do a show. You so it's like fifty-two weeks takes take a uh, you know. Saturdays and Sundays out, out, you know, being realistic about it. So, ten, if you, that's just the proficiency comes on stage and, and comics. That's why they, they, these younger comics, they they drive and they go open mics and they they really want to do it. Um, and you just have to get on stage. It's just, it just, there's no substitute for it. There's no substitute for it. Well, that's what you said the first night I met you. You said, ah, it sounds like it just needs stage time. Yeah. That was the first, and I was like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, you know? if you can get it anywhere, you start yeah. your own, you know, you, you have to go out and uh, wherever there's a stage. You've been good about that. Wherever there's a stage you could get to reasonably, yeah. you try to go. Yeah, I try you, to go, you, for you sure. You got to go if, you, if you're serious about the craft. And uh, But then, you know, it's, it's a different day now because – you know, in this age of pushing fame and and desiring f- fame and fortune, they've created a lot of shortcuts, and and those people fizzle out after a while. Yeah, and uh, I, I I seen both sides of it. I seen some some people get some longevity. Out. But you know, look at the, you know, can we call names on this show? You, you know? can do anything you want, man. You look at you look at Dane Cook. You look at. Um, uh, Dane Cook was just He was the first of his kind I believe In the whole social media Phenomenon That uh, Got a million followers On MySpace Right 
He's he's been a social media success for so long. He succeeded on MySpace. He succeeded like, on MySpace. That's, <laughs> that's how long. That's how ahead of the curve he was. That's how ahead of the game he yeah. was. He was next to Tom in the number of friends. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody had more friends than Tom. He was Dan Cook, <laughs> and Tom was a hack. That's what I heard. But um, and and then that's that's when the popularity contest started. You know, and so. And I I get it. The clubs they got to make money. They, yeah. they got to make money. So you had that. You have to have the obligatory celebrity come through. But at least they some of them are talented. But now with the YouTube stars and the Instagram stars and all this shit. You know, I was thinking when you said it. I've never had this thought until you just said it a second ago. Because um, I've heard you talk about, uh, you know, you're just. I don't know if it's your frustration or just whatever, but just with the whole YouTube star versus like comedians mm-hmm. who have been pounding the pavement for 19 yeah. years like yourself, you know? Absolutely. I think they make it on YouTube. They make it big. <clears throat> but I think maybe, on question, maybe one of the reasons that they're inherently likely to be a flash in the pan is that there's no real commitment and long-term investment between them and their fans. Like, no. their fans no. see them on YouTube, but five seconds later they can see another comedian or another whatever on YouTube. And and if things stop going well, they just unsubscribe to that channel, and you're no longer a part of that person's life, and you that fan no longer really cares about you. And whereas if you go see a comedian live, like mm-hmm. you spend the money, you make a night of it, you spend an hour in their presence, you feel like you know them after you've seen them perform. Yeah, you're invested in them, and and so when you build those kinds of long term relationships, I would imagine that that. You know, there's a relationship every night that most of the time when you do a show and uh, after a performance, you you know, these people love you for 45, 55 minutes. Right. And most of them forget your name and get to the car. <laughs> they do. I mean, they, they really do. That's why, you know, when they come, when they come to, and that's, I think that's due to uh, the way a lot of clubs have papered the comedy rooms because there's no value on it now. Mm. We don't buy tickets. We'll sit and wait for birthday passes. You know? So now if you got, if you hit them in the pocket somewhere, they tend to remember, but now the only people they pay to see are celebrities. And the only reason they pay, they want selfies and autographs. Mm. So to show to all their friends and their lonely lives that that we, Hey, I was hanging out with so-and-so. Well, that doesn't make you friends because you're hanging out with them, and so, um, the along the way the craft has been totally devalued, and that's what pisses me off more. I'm not against anybody making any money. How, how about y'all start a, a fucking YouTube club? How about do that? <laughs> how about start a YouTube club and have all the YouTube stars go there and perform, and then people will find out how talented they really are. I'm not saying they're all not talented, right? But stand up's a different animal. I kind of feel the same way about hypnotists and uh, um, uh, what's called magicians. Magicians, kind of, magicians, eh. but hypnotists definitely. I'm like, whatever. Have you ever seen a good one? I've seen a couple of good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they put on a great show. They do. They, not, do. they not, do. Not that it's a it comedy show. I mean, it's a completely different yeah. thing. I mean, it's not. It's a completely different experience. Yeah. It's totally interactive. You know. And yeah. They, and I and I get it. You know. I, I I get the whole thing. I I just I'm 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 such a over the top purist about it. And I know you can't be that way. Uh, not big on 
uh, you know, the acts that go to television and all, all the all the, uh, the the contest shows. Mm. You know, the yeah, America's Got Talent, and even in the music world with the American Idol and, and all that stuff. I'm like, you know what, man? They make these folks these folks are getting famous way quick. Yeah. And then maybe why they burn out so fast. You know, it's it's an ugly business. And so, you know, to me, you ain't a real comedian until you dealt with eight drunks in Forest City, North Carolina on a second show Friday night, <laughs> you know. And we all leave and had a good time. It don't happen like that all the time. Right. For the most part it does. So, you know. What was your what was your worst experience on stage? Like just your worst night talking. Worst experience on stage. I'm drawing a blank because I, I I know I've had one. They all start to run together after a while. <laughs> so it's not that the, you can't remember one. You just can't remember which one. Which one was the worst? <laughs> it, it's just been a, I've been real lucky. Haven't had many at all. But, I, but that should stand out to me. Uh, the worst night on stage. I have such short memory, though. Hmm. About it, nothing gets a, nothing gets you to a better show than having a horrible one right in front of. It. And yeah. so when you block that stuff out, I mean, I literally just, it's it's gone. Yeah, so it's probably for the best. I remember one time I had a show with a bunch of kids in it. Oh, oh, here's here's one. Here's here's a good one. Uh, I was doing Uptown Comedy Corner in Atlanta, notoriously known to be a rough urban club, black club. And uh, I don't work a lot of black clubs. I, I don't have no problem working them at all. I want to work more of them uh, because I think I bring a different flavor to the urban audience. Um, but I don't. I don't get booked for a lot of them because I'm probably not. Some 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 comics have even said, "Well, Spank, you, you, I don't think you're really black enough." For them. I'm like, I'm black. I gotta be. <laughs> so. Um, what so is anyway, that? Yeah. Uptown booked me, and when they called me, I was like, "You sure you want me to come down there?" <laughs> like, yeah. Did you, did you say I'm not sure I'm black enough for your yeah, club? <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to work them for years, yeah. and finally I get this call out of the blue, and so uh, I go. And the first night, it was four nights, and the money was okay. The money was good, and so the first night, I uh, I don't know if I got booed off or if I walked off. It's a little bit of both. It was ladies' night. And they had this thing where they didn't like it. They jingle the keys at you. Mm. So I'm doing my little jokes, and uh, I got it early to get the keys. You get jingled. And uh, I said, man, hell with you, bitches. And I just walked off. He's like, boo! And I just walked off, and I, I, I went outside later on to smoke a cigarette. And uh, these two sisters in a, in a, in a I would never forget, it was, it was some kind of Lexus or something. And they they pulled around where I was standing. You know, they were leaving. Right. And they pulled around, and the passenger one that comes down, and the girl says, Boo! <laughs> she booed you in the parking lot. Oh, man. I died laughing. It was so funny. That's funny. And that was a rough week, but I made it through the week some kind of way. And then, so, on uh, on Sunday night was the worst show. So I, ex- I was expecting the worst show because that's when all the the pimps and the drug dealers and the strippers and all them come out to the show. And all oh, others. really? And I was in my mirror getting dressed at the hotel. I'm like, hey, man, you've been booed before. <laughs> you're going to get booed tonight. Just get the money and get the hell up out of here. Right. Best show of the week. 
Best show of the week. It was it was amazing. The stuff. I don't know what it was that hooked them, but it, when they went with me, they were in. Yeah. And they, it was just it was the best show of the week. And uh, so you just just go. You never. You have to. Everybody gets a show. You can't underestimate your audience. You have to. They're a lot smarter than we think they are. Right. So. Yeah, I always think like when I go in, whenever I I go out, when I don't want to go out. Mm. That's usually when I have my best set. And when I go out, yeah. when I'm like dying to go out and I'm so excited, like haven't performed in a while and I get up there right. and it's, I mean, it's, maybe it goes well, but often it doesn't. Think about it too much. Uh, and, and, and that could happen sometimes. That can really, I, I could totally get that. Um, I get most nervous the first time I'm up after being off a long period. Mm. I'm at my most nervous. I hardly ever get nervous about it. I get a little, you know, a little excited, I think. It's, I've learned how to turn that nervousness into a little bit of nervous energy. But uh, I'm always a little bit nervous, but I'm at my most nervous a, when my kids are in the audience or when sure, uh, yeah, or when family yeah. or um, when uh, I've been off for a couple of weeks or even a week. Because you have to come up and fight off the ring rust and all that, you know, the first – Get through it. How many nights a week do you think you perform? Average. I'm going to measure in. I, on average, I would say, eh, I would say probably, probably two nights a week. I say, oh, oh, I, yeah. I, uh, when you average it out, you know, some clubs are, you know, some clubs are uh, Tuesday through Sunday. Some are Wednesday through Saturday. Most of weekend clubs, when you average it all out, maybe two nights, two and a half, yeah. two nights a week. I, I would say in, in actual nights a year that I work, I'll say probably 250 nights a year, maybe. Wow. Yeah, two between 225 and 250, maybe. Well, I mean, that's that's way more than two nights a week. Is it? See, that's yeah. why I tell jokes. I don't yeah, mad. five out of seven. So... That's, uh, well, that's well, five nights a week. I'm not working that much then. I'll, I'll, then. Let me see. Maybe it just feels like 250 nights. <laughs> hey, do I tell you? i some nights it's like, you know, like, like for instance, I'll be on stage. It was the 31 days in December. I should be on stage 21 of them, I guess, maybe. Wow. 23 of them, something like that. Yeah. So that's great. That's, that's, I'd rather work the long engagements. It gives me more, you know. Just more stage time. You, you gotta, you gotta get more stage time. Your money will take care of itself, in my opinion, whether it's coming or not. If you have another opportunity to sell merchandise, or you know, so. Do you sell merch now? I've always sold merch. I just hadn't sold any here. Oh, because I was gonna say I don't think I've ever seen you sell merch. Yeah, I got, I got a little bit. I brought a little bit here. I got these little bumper stickers I sell now. They say, uh, "You better go on about your business." This <laughs> <laughs> just sells like crazy. I have my old coffee mug that I uh I'm probably gonna order a batch of them next week for Jacksonville. But uh I had this coffee mug I, and this people love it. It's like it's this big long ass southern hood word, you know, you phonetically spelled. You better go on about your bit. How many ways you can use the word? The next one the next one I'm gonna do is gonna say, uh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh <laughs> just simple yeah people when you merch it when you, i mean 
I've been really lucky to do merch, I think, pretty well. Um, if you can do something men and women could get on with, right? aware, then you, you, you'll do well in merch, you know. You can just, you can put it in pink, put it in black, whatever, you know, for women and men if, if you want. But if you can, if you can put something out there that they both would like to have, uh, you should do well with merch. I do, I do good with merch when I got it. I do, I, I do good with it. It's like a whole other piece of the business. Yes, yeah. it, that merch money, man, is is a it's a godsend. I saw a guy. I saw I work with a guy that uh, he said. Uh, he said, I am my best product. I don't have any merch. I don't have any. That's right. So uh, he said, I'm going to put this bucket outside. And if you guys want to leave me a tip, feel free to do it. I'll give you my business card. <laughs> he, he told me, he said, Man, just come out, stand next to me, watch what happens. And they were giving me money. I didn't even ask for it. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> that is the most brilliant shit I've ever seen. And it came by the bucket, just dropped in three, four. Five. Some people put in twenties, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and I made like fifteen bucks just standing right there next just to you. <laughs> Residual money. So I was like, yeah, I'll be collateral damage in this thing. And every night, man, I pick up another 10, 20 bucks. <laughs> it was crazy. But he didn't sell anything, which was which was bananas. So, yeah. but that's a whole different. That's sometimes that is is what sustains you. Uh, you have no idea how important the merchandise money is, and and to get the right angle on it, and to have something that uh, that that everybody would buy—black, white, men, women, whatever—just get them. Long as you get the money in, and uh, and 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 if they if they if they buy, there you go. The next day, at the end of the week, you you've got enough money to get home and buy gas and buy food, and you haven't Man. touched your paycheck. So that's the big thing. How long have you been? So you've been doing 19 years of comedy. How, what made you get started? 19 years of this bullshit. Yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, how did I get started? It kind of started with, um, I, was, I was on the radio station. I was part of the morning crew. And I was, I was emceeing this. Uh, they asked me to emcee this this. Uh, like a little show, it was a show, comedy show. And uh, it was at the Hyatt Regency. And so I go down, me and the other girl, and we go down, we host this show. And I've been to comedy shows. So a local comic who uh, I knew, just he walked in, and I saw, I saw him at, I saw him open for Bernie Mac at the Civic Center. I said, this guy's going to, oh, he's going to scare these white people to death. And he went up. And he was the best. He was better than the two guys they were paying. Mm. So he went on. He's my best friend, Akintunde. He went on to do Comic View on BET. He did his first season. So I was a sidekick, humor, funny guy on this morning show. So I lobbied to get him on. And he came. So he came on. And then we just kind of took the show over and it was nuts. And so he's telling me, he said, hey, man, you are too funny not to do stand-up. I'm like, dude, I'm getting divorced, I'm old, whatever. He says, man, just come tell some jokes at the club. And I went down and told some jokes that I heard my dad tell in the pulpit. 
and it, it went, and it went well. It went good, and then I started going every week, every Tuesday, and then I started headlining the open mic. <clears throat> yes, it was it was three comics a week. The only I was only three. You had to call to get a, get a slot, and uh, and then I started headlining, which was so hilarious. That I look back on it now. I actually thought I was headlining something. It was an open mic segment of the show. So that's what got me started. And then I did comedy for a year and a half because uh, the club was working me, the local club. And they had That club chain had five rooms in the southeast all Tuesday through Sunday. Mm, wow. So the owner walks in one night during the open mic and called me. He says, uh, he says hey, man, we got to put you to work. And I'm like, work? And my radio gig was phasing out. And they, the next day they booked me. Three weeks in all five rooms as a MC and all that. Back then they paid the MCs two fifty a week. Plus your room. Some clubs fed you, some most of them didn't, but you know. But headlines were good to me. The 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 closers were always good to me. And I always try to be good to the guys I'm working with. Even if it's just taking them out for lunch or something, you know, just but they always taught me. Uh, to pass it on to the next guy. That's what I try to do. That's what I try to do. So 19, 19 years from the moment I got paid to do it, not from open mic. I see. No, no, that's from open mic, yeah. Yeah, I, I count that time, too. I think you can count it. I think, yeah, some people do, some people don't. Some people wait to get to the, they're actually making money. Um we had clubs back then pay two fifty for the week. I mean, that's not terrible. It's it's it sounds like a gold mine compared to what they're paying now. Yeah. yeah. So when you when you when you look at it now, like man, that two fifty a week that wasn't it's a thousand bucks a month if you're lucky enough, right? So, um, like all the other clubs, they started bringing in. These big celebrities and blah, blah, blah. BET was big, you know. I guess I missed the first big boom when they said right before I started. That's when openers were MCs were making a thousand bucks a week, and features were making two thousand, and headliners were making five thousand a week. Mm. Yeah, so that's before then. Some crazy money they were making. I'm late to every party. <laughs> I'm late to every party of my I hear life. you, man. My dad is uh, pathologically too far ahead of every party. Mm. Like, he is a genuine visionary. Wow. But what he doesn't see, he can see the mountaintop, but he doesn't realize that it's not the next mountaintop, it's the one after that. Mm. And so there's always a valley that he does not see. Didn't anticipate. And uh, it happens every time, but he's amazing that way. Like... His, his thing is real estate. He understands where people are going to want to live. He has a sense for it. But he, he, like I said, he understands it too soon. Like he, he knew, we moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1978. Mm -hmm. And Santa Fe is now, you know, and it has been for a long time, very shishi. You know what? Mm -hmm. I remember in, in 2000, we went to, no, no, in 1990, uh, for New Year's, we went to Paris and Israel and stuff on this trip. Uh -huh. And there was a store in Paris called Santa Fe Style. 
So you, yeah, so you know a city has yeah. made it if there's a store named after it in Paris. In, of all places. Of all places, Paris. you know. So, but we moved there in 78, and between when we moved there after, you know, we bought all this land, bought all these houses, everything, and mm. uh, and then there was the oil crisis, and all the money was Texas money. So all the money fell out of the market in Santa Fe, and then uh, and then by the time I came back, he was he was already gone. He'd already mm. taken the hit. Okay. But... Um, but yeah, that's happened to him a number of times. Like he just, he sees it way far in advance. So you guys, if you guys could just meet in the middle somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing when you, when you look, look, I, I got out of the military in 89 and I still didn't start comedy till 10 years later. Trying to do what I thought I should be doing. Right. And uh, got married, then uh, got married, had kids, and then uh, you know had had, had these, I mean, I really just BS my way into some pretty cool jobs, you know. So um, I was a account rep for the NBC affiliate in Savannah, sales rep, and then I got I got lured over to the Fox affiliate to be the regional sales mm. manager. And actually made decent money. And I opened up my own advertising agency. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. What, why advertising? That was the name of it. How'd it do? I made money, man. I had, hell, I had five or six clients right around Savannah. And uh, and I was getting the agency commission off of them. So if they spent six grand advertising, I, I made off that. Right, I, I got the, you. Get the ad, but the percentage on the ad, but yeah. I think now it's fifteen percent. It's fifteen percent now. Yeah. Thir- I think it was thirty percent back then. Oh wow, yeah. No, it was fifteen percent. Yeah. You're right, but that's where the money is. It's true. Is the yeah. ad buy. I mean, I, I know money at that. I have a friend who does video production and and the ad buys for his clients, mm-hmm. and he practically does the production for free because he makes so much money on the ad buys. You know, and wow. and that's how that's uh, radio stations used to do that too. Like they would make your or TV stations, they would make your ad for you cheap or free, right? Because they'd make all their money off the advertising, and if and then if they did it themselves, they didn't have to pay that percentage to anybody, right? So they could take that percentage and, and put it towards the production. So he came from that background, and uh, just continued that business model. But I used to try to get work for him doing uh, video production. He never wanted to pay me enough, and I'm like, <laughs> I said, you can't. Expect me to work for free because you're making the money off the buy. If you want to cut me in on the buy, I'll work for free. You know? It was like he couldn't see him. He's one of my best friends. He just like he he couldn't like, he really? couldn't see it. He was what he how he was seeing the math. You know, but we all I think we all have trouble seeing how we calculate things. It all makes sense in our head. Yeah, man. So that's hilarious. Where are you from originally? Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. What was your family like? What was your childhood like? Uh, my dad was a. Uh, Minister, Church of Christ, very conservative religious family. Uh, I grew up in church, literally. Uh, me and my five, my four siblings. Um, anything secular was frowned upon in my house. <laughs> anything, wow. uh, it was church music going all day, and it was. We went to church. We went to church twice on Sundays and then Wednesday. And if there were like a revival meeting or something, we were there every night for that. Wow. It was a pretty big church. My dad, uh, the church he was minister for for 50, 
two years, I believe, it was the largest black church of Christ in the, in the United States for a long time. So he's a big, this street's named after him, Memphis and shit. And I, when I go home, people people still walk up and speak. They recognize me. They remember me. I have three sisters, sisters there. My brother lives in Knoxville. So our childhood was really, it wasn't bad. It could have been better, you know? Sure. That they, most people will say that. Um, they didn't push us in any particular direction. I think if my dad could have had his way, my brother and I, ironically, my brother's a minister now, that we were both been preachers and my sisters were married preachers. Oh, he, uh, just, he just wanted it to be preachers. Oh, Jesus. Oh, all the time. Yeah. So, and I love Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I love some, I love the Lord. But I, uh, I had to get away from, I went to the Army in 85, 1985, and hadn't lived in Memphis since because I had to get around some people who didn't know my parents. Mm. Or, yeah. So, um, but I was always funny. You know? But they were like, if you're, if you're going to be a comic, you got to be Bill Cosby or Nipsey Russell or, you know, Jackie Gleason or, or somebody who don't have to curse. Right. Yeah. You're so. pretty clean, though. I mean, you you don't. I mean, you you can go yeah. there, but you you're. I've always kept it pretty relatively clean. I cuss a little bit, you know. Um, yeah, but it's almost like it comes out just kind of casual. It's not yeah. your act isn't about the cussing. You know, it's not about the language. It feels like to me. I don't know. It goes almost unnoticed to me when you do it. It's not. It's it. It has to be that. I always said I didn't want my mom walking in, catching me talk like that. So I hear that more now than ever. People say, man, did you even curse? See, I was in Columbia. It's all black club, too. He's like, he, the guy walked, some guy walked up after the show. And he says, he's like, did you even curse? I said, yeah, I cursed. He said, he's not even hear it. I was like, yeah, well, yeah that's, what, that's what you want. That's you know? what you want. If yeah. you got the jokes and didn't get stop at the cursing. And that's what I've um, tried to do. Um, don't, leave, don't have a bunch of good gratuitous just you know flarm flam flarm flam flam stuff i cuss worse off stage than i do on stage i know i had the, the realization the other, last night mm -hmm. i said you know i don't really cuss on stage i only cuss when i'm with my daughter <laughs> it's the only time i use bad language <laughs> and it's like that's my worst that's when i'm at my worst and i'm at my second worst with my friends and i'm cleanest when i'm on stage i'm like i have got to turn this thing around you i gotta know? flip this switch yeah. kind of way yeah my, i'm like i need to start cussing on stage just so i can be a better dad you know <laughs> like, I, you know i curse when i write the bits that's that's this is great i so wrote this the other morning I'm, I'm i don't know why i got on this shit and i was about having sex with older women that older women don't have sex they really don't they have like experiments and shit like they <laughs> They got all kind of devices. <laughs> I said, "Don't go to this old lady's house, man, because this bitch, she will, she will, you know, she'll." Because they got this old women have this thing about putting it on you. We go, I put it on you, you know. I'm like, "What? What the fuck is it?" And I'm like, "So, <laughs> so." Uh, in my imagination, I said, "You know, it's these old women. They, they, because I've had some approach me sometimes, but you need me. You need to let me come put it on you." I said, "No, I heard about it." I don't need that kind of drama because they'll have you strung out with the, you know, liking what they're doing to you. Like I'm, with the old lady's house one time, she comes out the bathroom with a 
with a Batman mask on with a <laughs> with a negligee, but she's got a box fan on her back, bungee cord tied on with a set of tongs with a nine volt battery wired between. I'm like, what you about to do with that? She's like, shut up. <laughs> I saw it on YouTube. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Are you and then, and then, and then you back over there the next week because you're so strung out, like, <laughs> like man, I get, what, what, and you at the door struggling. Like, what the fuck am I doing over here? <laughs> like, and you go to ring a doorbell, but it's got a spider living in it, and that's your cue to leave right then. Like, fuck this fucking spider. And you're like, ah, knock on the door, and she comes out the house like the FBI is watching the house. Like, what the fuck you doing over here? Shit. Come on in here. <laughs> You're messing up my soap operas. You know, so. And take off the clothes and lay on the bed and be still while I light this gunpowder. Like, who the fuck got gunpowder in the bedroom? <laughs> Shut up. I saw it on Gunsmoke one night. Miss Kitty was putting it on this Chinaman. <laughs> that's, see? And that's the kind of shit that I think about. I'm like, man, there's no way nobody's going to laugh at that shit. But it's, it's, it's so... It's so stupid. Like I got, I got friends like Mo Alexander for one. The stuff is too sick for me to do. I give it to Mo. Yeah, because Mo's just sick enough to do it. Right. And so, and I wrote one one time. It's so sick. He wouldn't even. Know. He said, "Dude, I can't do it." I'm like, "Shit!" I wonder what the hell's wrong with me. I'm like, God, <laughs> this is too sick for you. Too sick for What's you? going wrong with my mind? I need to go to church or something. So. But in writing jokes, I got this is great for every comic to have. I got two points of reference. It's two guys I know okay. who are comedians who have heard every joke that there is. Because sometimes you write a joke and it's like, it's no way nobody wrote this joke. It's too, it's too simple. It's too funny. It's, it's right there. Right. So I got these two guys I call. I say, hey, have you ever heard this? Well, you know, so, so, so it's kind of similar, but it's not the. It's, it's done. You know. Right. Nowadays, these these new comics they don't consult anybody. A lot of them are working off what they saw on YouTube. Well, that's why I don't put anything on YouTube anymore. Because yeah, I, I got stuff up there, but yeah, people can go check you out before you come to a show, which is the good part. Right? Decide going to come see you or not. Uh, I got a call one time from from the Tampa club I was just at uh, a few years ago. The owner calls me. He said, you know, you know this kid, such and such? And I said, nah. He said, he is doing your bus riding bit like verbatim. Really? I'm like, really? He said, I'll call you right back. And he calls me back. He says, so I go to this guy. I said, hey, man, you know Spanky Brown? He says, man, I love Spanky Brown. He said, you know, you're doing this joke by riding the bus. He said, that's my favorite joke to do. He said, I can't do that shit. <laughs> He didn't know he was doing something he wrong. He didn't know he was doing something wrong. Well, at least there's that. Like, at least it wasn't deliberate. Like, uh, you know, th but there's the club's fault because the, the clubs have got to nurture these guys. They got to tell them yeah. when they're doing. You know, that's that. You know, a cop when a comic when a comic sees you doing his joke, it's too late. You're here with a beer bottle, or something. right? But at the clubs when they're doing these open mics and classes, they charge them for. You know, yeah. You got to tell them. You got to hey, you can't do anybody else's material. You can't. Right. You got to write it all on your own. And if you're not sure about it, ask. Because if it's something you wrote that is so funny that you think you got to do it, and you think nobody else wrote that joke by now, and you're just starting, you should call and have a, a couple of points of reference. Just, yeah. 
Have you ever heard this joke before? You know, you can call a club owner. They've heard every joke that there is, you know. Booker. Um, and so that's why, I try, you know, when younger comics ask me, I try to, I try to tell them the truth. Like, hey, don't get jaded by this shit. This is a lot of work. The shit we do to get on stage. That's the stuff. That's the stuff. That's right. the, you know, being on the road, being away from your family. You know, if you got a family. Um, not taking care of yourself, health wise, like me, God, I, um, I, I lost, I lost so much good weight a year ago, like two years ago maybe, and um, went on the road and gained it all back plus ten pounds. I said, "Why are these fucking pants so tight?" Whoa, it's a Big Mac in my pocket. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> my sister is hilarious. My sister is hysterical. Yeah, that, someone told me your sister was hysterical. Oh my god, she yeah. is a and moron. She and she doesn't do comedy, right? She just she's, she's just a, naturally funny. She does Facebook. She had everybody. Everybody is like, uh, when you bring an Avis, I'm never bringing Avis. Okay? <laughs> she's an asshole. I'm <laughs> she's too funny. We were talking. Avis makes me laugh so hard. She. Uh, I've been wearing a jacket on stage lately. That's okay. I've I've started to lose again now. I'm I'm aware of it. I'm like okay. So I put this jacket at the Goodwill. I've been wearing it with some jeans, and I went to Memphis to do a show. And Avis came to the club, and she walks in. And she said, "And it is tight. It is a little tight on me." And she says, "Is that a is that a blood pressure jacket?" <laughs> <laughs> The beauty of it, I went right on stage and said it, and it killed. Like, uh, is that a blood pressure coach? <laughs> She's <fucking> stupid. <laughs> we were uh, talking one day on the phone. She was keeping me company. I was driving somewhere, and uh, we were talking about this show, Mob Wives, that was on VH1 or something. Uh, it's a show it. about these four women who had married to men in the mafia and stuff. And one of them had this big raspy voice. She talked like this all the time. And she was she had she died. And uh Avis asked me, or I asked her, I said, You heard that the lady uh, Big Ange died from this show. Avis said, Yeah. Maybe it was a smoking. I said, I think it was a smoking. <laughs> and Avis said, She sounded like she she's Marlboro cereal. <laughs> <laughs> I almost hit a bus. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> she is ridiculous. Everywhere, if people know we're connected on the face, they always ask, "When's Avis coming?" I said, "Never, never." I got a, you like I got a career to protect. Yeah, I'm trying. To, <laughs> I'm not trying to lose no weeks messing around with Avis. <laughs> she is hilarious, though. Yeah, so she, uh, she keeps them going on the face. She, she doesn't have any filter. She, she still uses words that we don't really use no more. Like, <laughs> like. Retards and all this kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, like, Avis, you can't say that shit. Said, Why not? He's retarded. I'm like, no, he's not, Avis. So, uh, what do you think about all that? There's all this stuff we can't say. Oh man, it's just <laughs> it's a sissification of America. That's what it is. It's like certain words, man. You know, you don't mean any offense by them, and it's it's this whole. It's, I see what Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld are talking about not doing college. Everybody wants to be offended. Yeah. People come out looking to be offended at comedy shows, which is so stupid. I'm like, man, just if there's one place that's a stand-up comedy is the last bastion of the First Amendment. It used to be anyway, yeah. but now people complain about any little. 
I did a joke about my ex-wife. Hope an AIDS monkey bit her in the face. And some lady walks up. She's like, you know, I just wonder what she did to you to make you so bitter and angry. I was like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she asked me questions like this. Yeah, that's what, that's what did it. I said, what? The, what the? So I told her. I said, I told her why. I said, I don't really hate her anymore. I don't. I don't, I don't even think. It's about the joke. Because now the joke is so old that right. people come out to see that people have told me. Yeah. When I try not to do it, like, oh, man, you didn't do the AIDS monkey joke. So I'm trying to do some new shit. Yeah. I brought my friends to see the fucking AIDS monkey joke. And I'm right. like, yeah, you can't win. You can't win. So, uh, and number two, there is no AIDS monkey, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so absurd to think that the Atlanta at the CDC, they get this monkey in a cage with, with anyway. So, um, man, I just, I've 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 started now to say before the show before I get going I'm like hey this is gonna be a this is gonna be a pretty politically incorrect show so yeah. if, if so if you squeamish you may want to leave now you know I've said it I've said it before if you don't like if you if you don't like me doing jokes about Trump get the fuck out of here right now because it's yeah. going down in a few minutes you knew I didn't like Trump and I walked up here shit but you know you have a good way of doing it. You you I've seen you do some material about Trump and you do it in a way that's balanced. I you try know. to balance it, thanks. I try to balance it and I try to not to attack him about it. Right. I try to temper the room and say, Okay, look, I get it. But you know you wouldn't have him to your house for dinner. You know you wouldn't, even if you voted for him. You know, you know you could, if you had a teenage daughter, you could not leave Donald Trump in the room <laughs> by herself with, with his ass. You couldn't. You 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 know he's a, he is a despicable human being, but see my hate for Trump goes way back. I, I hated Trump since the USFL football league days. Oh, you have he, a sports grudge against him. Yeah, I got sports. Yeah, he do hurt. Herschel Walker should be in the Hall of Fame right now, but he's not for messing with Donald Trump in that little ragged ass football league. He should. He threw all that money at Herschel. Doug Flutie too. He threw all that money at him and he took it. And they're playing this friggin' USFL. So I hated Trump for a long time. I just thought he was a, uh, a a buffoon. But, you know, nowadays people, in a way I kind of get it. In a way I, I said, social media, I said, I said, some folks don't need a voice, okay? Some folks need to shut the hell up and just live <laughs> with their head down, just keep going. And that's not true. That's not right either. But um, I see. I see what they, you know, people who voted for him. Some had bad intentions, but I think most people who voted for him were people who really wanted to see what it's like to get away from politics as usual. And 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 they did. Just didn't think it was like this, you know. So I think it'll straighten itself out. You know, if, if I think we'll. We don't go to war or something. Because Donald Trump, he about to go to jail over some bullshit, you know. Like, We'll see. It's, it's, it's going to be over some stupid shit. It's like some shit he didn't have to lie about. Like, wait a minute. You had a cookout with the Russians at your house? A <laughs> cookout? <laughs> well, yeah. I, you I, made you collard know, greens? With- you, made, you made collard greens with bacon instead of turkey for the... <laughs> that's what you lied about to the FBI, you stupid bastard? <laughs> Uh, is that your issue with Muslims? <laughs> is that, is that what, so wait, let me get this right. You told them that the cream filling in Twinkies <laughs> was radioactive. You told the fucking... Yeah. So 
I love being an old school kind of comic. I love being old school. Just, man, whatever. If you ain't laughing at these jokes, you got the problem. It's yeah. not me. It's not the rest of us. So, and I think that just comes with doing it so long that every comic needs a good dose of, I don't give a shit. Yeah. You, you, you do, but you need to project that. You need yeah. to, like, look, these jokes worked last night. They should work tonight. And if they don't, it ain't me. It's probably y'all. <laughs> But every now and then you get all the wrong folks in the same place, same time. It has happened to me. I can I can count them on one hand, but it's it's happened. Where I uh like they had a meeting out in the parking lot. Like we are going to go in here and we ain't laughing at shit. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It it's can happened. happen. It has happened. It will happen sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. I did I uh I went up one night at this place called the Auditorium here locally. It's it's one of the top two open mics in town. Mm. That's we absolutely weekly, and some of them are kind of more occasional. And uh, this one night was just rough, man. There was there were these people who were laughing really hard, but they were stoned out of their minds. And right before I went on stage, they left. Like Duh. one or two comics before me, I was like, "Fuck!" Those are the only people who were laughing, and they were getting the rest of the room to laugh. You know, like normally I don't want someone who's over laughing mm. because that's just, it's just weird, but it's, 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 it's distracting and they think they're helping and they're not, but, but without these guys, there was no laughter and no joy in the room. And mm. I was, I did a few jokes that absolutely never don't get a laugh and mm -hmm. they got nothing. And I just turned, I said to the audience, I was like, this is fascinating. I said, not for you, obviously, but for me, you know, because <laughs> I, I know what I'm saying right now. And I've, it's worked every single time except tonight. So and it must be y'all. So, but, but I don't know. I saw, I remember seeing, uh, you know, Sean Patton is Sean Patton. He's a comedian. He's, he's on the young side. He's really good. I think, I think you'd like See, him. I think I, 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 his name is familiar. I don't think yeah. Seen him. Yeah. He's, he's the, he's sort of. New generation, but uh, mm -hmm. but he's he's good. He's strong. I, th I think you'd like him. And I watched him go up at this was a different night at the same place auditorium. The room was just dead, mm -hmm. you know. And it was just one amateur comic after another getting up there and talking too loud and saying nothing. And and then he got up and he he did about fifteen minutes probably, mm -hmm. but he just crushed it. I mean, it was like his his ability to fill the room with his own presence. Mm -hmm. and project and just get everybody totally on board with everything he was talking about. It was a really amazing thing to watch because it's it's kind of easy to see someone do that in a theater or a stadium. I mean, the, everyone's like, oh, is that, were you afraid to perform to 250 people? I just did that the other night. Mm -hmm. I'm like, are you kidding, man? It's easy. Yeah. 250 people is easy because at least, you know, a third of the people are going to think you're funny most of the time, you know, and every once in a while, the whole room's going to laugh. Like, yeah. it's... It's so the more people the better. But watching him go up in a in a dead room in a small room with a light crowd and absolutely crush it made me really see the difference between you know my level and most of the people around me's level and then this yeah. very just, next level. I work with the. Uh, it that's happened to me before. I, I remember a girl I was dating. She was in Knoxville. We were at the show. She she went in the showroom. I was out in the lobby because in the in the lobby bar because at the time you could smoke in there and. uh she came in back into the bar with this look on her face, like she's panicked. Like mm. nobody's laughing. I said, "Really?" So we walk in there, you know, mm. and they ain't laughing. 
And uh, and she's oh my god, nobody's laughing. I said, I said, well, they may, well, we'll see what happens, you know. And go up, and it went fine. It went great. And uh, when I got done, she was the only one standing up clapping. <laughs> like, Hercules, Hercules. And uh, and she asked me the same kind of like how how did you? Uh, I said I don't know. I said just every kind. You know, I think certain things that I work with. I, I look at some guys write jokes, and I say I wish I could write like that. You know, I get away with a real. And I'm not. It's not my own. Um, the thing I hear the most about myself, not to sound like an asshole, but it's okay. It's, t- it's timing and del- it's timing and delivery, and just likability. Yeah. That's the, and that's the stuff you can't really teach. Yeah, that's the stuff that. Not to say that you, you um, can't do comedy if you don't have those traits, but that's the stuff that comes very. And it's probably just because of being a preacher's kid, being up in front of people my whole life, that I get that. So. Um, the one thing I do pride myself on that I hear people say, and, they, and when you hear other comics say it, that's when it really makes you feel good that um, that nobody resets a room like mm. Spanky Brown does. Nobody can just reset it, no matter what goes up in front of me. No matter if it's, if you got if you if they if guy girl if they crush it, or if they're horrible, if it's a real high energy act, or yeah. if it's a you know just kind of. That's the advantage from being a closer. You can kind of watch it all go down, right? And then you can kind of form a plan of attack if you, you know, because you, you know, I think every comic should come up in comedy as an MC, just to know what it feels like to work at the toughest part of the night hmm. when the servers are serving and the people trying to settle in, they're trying to get the drinks and they're meeting the friends and then. You know, I think every comic should have to go through that. Because a lot of guys come in and go right to the middle, right right to the feature spot. Um, and then they brag about it. How, well, how been, well they did, yeah. Yeah, well, I never emceed. I can tell because you're talking about it. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, and, and that's what, you know, I think every comic should, there's a lot of things about, if, if we had a, a comedy nation, and I was a president. I changed a lot about, like when you first start, you cannot curse. Right. That's where I started. They wouldn't. Let, you couldn't say. You couldn't say hell or damn or ass. Couldn't grab your package. You couldn't. You know. It made you write. It made you use your words. Right. So. And it made you not lean on though, because my best friend, I can tell him, they tell you, said you got to kind of learn to cuss in this business. Yeah. Which is crazy. I've been cussing my whole life. It's nah, not like this, you know. Right. To your friends and family, it's a different thing than to strangers. Cause, you know, fuck the your friends and family sounds a little bit different to strangers, you know. So maybe you don't want to use it with them. Plus the cleaner you work, the more you work, which means the more you work, the more rep, the more reps you get in, the better you will be at it. So that's uh yeah, I'd make and two. <laughs> if I were the president of that's that's a question for your podcast. Yeah, that is a good question. If you were president, if you were of, the president comedy world, of comedy, what would you do? Yeah, what would the rules be? I would tell some of these kids who are not funny that you're not fucking funny. You just ain't funny. You know, it's like 
But the clubs get the advantage is the clubs will, they don't have to pay them. So they'll throw a warm body up there in the MC position. They don't care if this kid succeeds or not. I know. They just throw him up there. This guy, we, we'll pay him, you know, watered down drinks and salty ass chicken fingers. He'd be happy as shit. Tough fuck, he's a comedian. <laughs> and uh, no nurturing, no no guidance. And and if they're not, if they don't have it, they need to know. They're, they're taking up space. And I would get rid of hobby comics too. Um, unless they're really good. But I would probably get rid of hobby comics as well. If you don't have a serious dedication, if you don't have any career aspiration, then you should move aside. Um, because there's other folks who want to, you know, you're taking up space. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question for your podcast. If you were president of comedy, what would you do? What would the rules be? I'd change a bunch of shit. First hack joke you do, first... No thieves. What's we we could clear we could clear all this shit out. No, the, the first time we hear you doing somebody else's joke, you are suspended for a year. Yeah, I heard, and I'm not going to drop the names on this because I'm not trying to out anybody. <coughs> but one of my favorite new comedians, meaning he's new to me, to being mm. favorite, but he's everyone listens to this guy. Uh, he did a joke that was exactly the same as a comedian who's. 20 or 30 years older than him. Mm -hmm. And um, there's just no way that the older guy hadn't done it first. And they both have it recorded on albums and no one's ever said anything. <sighs> and, and I don't even think that it was, I don't think it was stolen per se, you know, I, but I think it was that compersion thing that they talk about. Have, have you heard of that? When you hear something and then you assimilate it. And then when you go to write it and you say it, you don't realize that you've heard it. I've heard that. You I've know? heard. No, I, I don't go for that shit. I go, <laughs> I go for lateral thinking. I think the people can write the same jokes. Yeah, the people, people cannot tell the same stories. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, when when Amy Schumer does a joke, and she does a Wendy Liebman joke, not only does she steal the joke, but she stole the cadence in which Wendy delivers that joke. That's thievery. It's not only is it the same joke, you delivered it. If I closed my eyes, I thought it was Wendy Liebman because it had the same cadence. Right. But when uh, me and uh, Lavelle Crawford do a joke about the dollar menu at McDonald's, where we're both fat guys, so right. what well, used to be, one of us used to be fat. <laughs> uh, I, I could see getting the jokes tangled up that way. Yeah. But that's why you don't you don't write jokes anymore. You you get to where you can talk about you know who cracks me up is um Gina Yashir. Gina Yashiri? Gina Yashire? You seen her? Mm. Nigerian chick, lived from, from London. I don't know. I don't she so. is hysterical, but she's just telling stories. She's, yeah. She just about the, about her flight over. I mean I need to be more observational like that, just yeah. to pick up on the stuff that's just. I, I, I kind of wait for this big home run joke all the time, but um, um, she is. She kills me. The guy that makes me laugh right now is either. Uh, it's, it's Sebastian Maniscalco. He is funny as hell. Him, uh, Dave Chappelle still makes me laugh. Chris oh, yeah. Rock Chappelle's so laugh. good. Yeah, Chappelle's awesome. I saw Chris Rock when he was in Harrah's. 
And it wasn't amazing, but still mm. pretty great. I mean, like yeah. Chris Rock having a show that it, the thing is, you expect him to be off the charts. I mean, it's so unfair, you know, for him to put on a perfectly solid show isn't good enough, but he did put on a perfectly solid show. Uh, Dave Chappelle was like nothing I'd ever seen before. That was totally different. Dave so. ridiculous. I th- I think that you have to um, in, in, on that level too because the expectations are so high. I mean, them cats are always working out new jokes. Yeah. So they haven't. They're probably trying stuff they hadn't even. It's just working out shit for the next big special. A big well, yeah, Chris Rock's pretty interesting, right? I mean, he'll go to like all these obscure clubs and all these tiny towns in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. When he first starts his new set, and then he'll slowly start building up into bigger and better attended places. And before you know it, he'll and he'll he says that he'll do his set two yeah. or three hundred times before he films his special. Wow! Yeah, Can I you mean, imagine that's crazy. Yeah, but you think when you think about material and what people, George Carlin had. I think I think Carlin had was it twenty two albums? Something crazy, yeah. That's 22 hours of material. Yeah. Now, think about all the stuff that didn't make it to the album. That's, I mean, that's been, oh, happy birthday, Richard Pryor. Today's his birthday. Oh, is it really? Today's King's birthday. Oh, man. If Richard's the King, George is the Prime Minister of Comedy. Um, did 22 albums, something like that. And it was, and it, so, so think about all the stuff that didn't make the album. Right. That he, through just trial and error. I think nowadays, in this dumbass society we live in now, I mean, it's somewhere along the line, somebody told these kids that it's acceptable to either steal or alter jokes that belong to somebody else. Um, Which is... That's just not the way I learned. I mean, yeah. that's just not the way the guys that taught me. So, um, it's just, it's just mind-boggling where it's where it's come to. But I think I, I'm I love it enough to believe that I think the substance portion portion of it is coming back. I think people are going to realize they've been getting fed a bunch of a bunch of in some cases a bunch of bullshit. Um. And they're going to come back looking for substance as opposed to flash. So, you know, the cream normally rises to the top. And and everybody won't be in that. In all comics, you know, everybody has a different road. Everybody. But the, the, the upside is the fact that, hey, I got to do this cool-ass job. I don't want to be asked. I travel in my pajama pants. Right. You know? I, um. I can do what I want to do. Pretty much don't have to answer to anybody. Okay, hour and night. Get to see the world, make cool people, do cool podcasts and shit, you know. And <laughs> you can't do this shit at CarMax. You know, you yeah, no, <laughs> nothing against CarMax, but you can't you can't you can't do it as a you can't do it. So that's the upside. That's that's the upside of it. And <sighs> You know, and, and and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Come, you know, rich or famous, rich or poor, whatever. You know, I'll find something else to do to make money. Um, while I'm trying to make money at this. Well, this has been great, man. I just uh, 
Yay. I feel tremendous gratitude to you for taking your time out to talk to me. I really do. Thank and you, uh, I appreciate it. I love knowing you. I love performing with you. And I mean, just every time I find out we're going to be on the same stage, it makes me happy. So, my man, my dude, I love you, Jay. I appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, I think you're doing great. I say every time I see you, you get funnier, you get better. And that's just, you know, you really have a dedication to it. And that's what's missing nowadays in comedy even to even to its detriment sometimes it's like i I tell the folks who want to start doing this like hey man be prepared to be by yourself a whole lot you know be prepared for your relationship to struggle and you know um but the payoff is great the hour and night you spend and you can and you can have all that it just takes a special person to put up with this shit. Right. Uh, you can have all that, but you got to be really, really selective and picky about who you start to drag in this shit. It looks all good when you're up on stage ripping, you know. How do you deal with the come down that happens after you get off stage? Like. How do you deal with it? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, because it's such a high, especially when it's a good night. Like. It's such a high, and, I, and I've just started to think, well, I have a thought about it. I want to hear what you have to say first, and then I'll express my theory on it. I think, you know, when I'm done, and I, everybody unwinds and unloads differently. If I'm, I normally will have a drink, and there's an enormous, and as I'm, being, I'm not being hokey, it's just a, a huge feeling of gratitude. Hmm. That's how you, that's how I deal with it. That me and these audience folks could have been anywhere tonight and we all came together and had this great time and tomorrow night I get to do it again with a bunch of other people and that's I think that's I think you have to you have to recognize the fact that somewhere some poor schmuck is at some job fucking hating it you know I mean, yeah. and here you are you had a cocktail you got you know you may be talking to a lady you may be talking to another guy uh, but people just got through digging you for the last, you know. It's, it's affected me to the point to where um, I was telling my buddy, I said, I, don't even, I realize I don't even go places now where I'm not the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's at the grocery store, get something to eat. Other than that, the people have to go to concerts. I do a concert every night I want to see. And it's, it's so selfish. It's so horrible. But it's, it's, I'm honest about it. You know, it's like yeah. I don't even go anywhere where I'm not the – uh, center of attention. So, um, but I think all that, that getting you used to being by yourself and all that, I think that's just a way to build up your your resiliency for road life. Yeah. It's just, you have to be, you gotta be a tough son of a bitch to do this thing. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm not just talking about me. It's just the stuff we do to get on stage. The stuff we do um, you know just the, the things you sacrifice, and I'm not crying about it. It's just it's it's an acceptance of it. Right. It's like, hey man, if I want to, you know, I don't make I don't make enough money to take off Christmas and Thanksgiving, so I let my kids pick which holiday I spend with them, mm. and, I, and whatever they say, I work the other one. So this year it was it was it was uh, it was it was thanks it was Christmas that they wanted. So I said. 
okay, I, if I can work Thanksgiving, I will. And I did, you know. So right. um, I could go home. Yeah, I could go home to Memphis to my sisters. They want me to come home. But it just works out that I'm going that way when I'm headed out west to uh, when we're going Oklahoma City and Tulsa for two weeks in January. So I'll still buy and see them. I get to see them and sure. all. But, um, and your family works around. Your family sacrifices a lot for you. You, you miss holidays and stuff. Um, but they love you and they say, you know, well, he must be working. You know, he must, you know, I keep in touch, you know, but I call it, wish everybody happy Thanksgiving and stuff, but there's no, nothing beats being there. So, you know, every, everybody, everybody pitches in to let you do, to let you be a comedian. So at the end of the day, after all that, you gotta be grateful for what, you know, that you get to do this on whatever level you're on, on whatever level, I'm sure. Um, that at night, uh, it's, it's a different kind of energy you put out with doing this. It's a different kind of, I don't know if it's because you're pouring your soul out or something, or it's not like you went out and ran 20 blocks. It's a different kind of, it's a different kind of energy you put out to them. I think, I think I'll let the, 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 the wanting or the desire for people to to have a good time, it's exhausting sometimes, and that, and that and that so that's how I deal with it. I, I just can I be thankful, and uh, you know, I used to, I used to get uh, really really drunk so I could sleep. I don't do that anymore. I done that in years. That's good. So I don't think I was an alcoholic, but I just I don't think I was. But um, it was just to sleep. Then I realized that the more I drink, the worse I sleep anyway. And so I'm like, I don't want to do that shit. Yeah. So um that's that's also so anyway, that's the gratitude and that should be the motivating factor to to do what you gotta do to get back up on stage. And that's gonna wrap it up for my interview with Spanky. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope it gave you a sense of the truly great and generous and funny and amazing person that he was. I'm sorry to kick season two off on such a down note. I promise that uh, the next episode will be nothing but laughs. I'm going to miss you, Spanky. I think I just tell it just like just like I heard it just now. Like, <laughs> my buddy says he may. So so if I accidentally drop the N word in here, like you want to accidentally drop it, like nobody does that. <laughs> <laughs> it never happened. They deck the hall with balls of niggas. Who, who, say, who says that shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Christmas song. You sing. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs>